Father, we just thank you for this time. I thank you for these women that are here, Lord. Every single one of them. And I am so grateful because I know today you want to speak to us. Lord, we pray and we thank you that when two or more are gathered in your name, you are among us. And so we welcome you in this room today. And we ask, Lord, that every single one of us here receives what we need to receive from you today. And what I love is that many of us don't even know what that is, but you do. And so speak to us in a way that we recognize the truth, that you're a God who sees us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, so we are in the third week of the Lord's Prayer. And so the third week of the Lord's Prayer, because it was flooding on week one, we kind of did a quick combination of week one and two last week. But in the series, we're in week number three. So what I thought we would do is on your table is a listening guide. I'm just going to push through all of you women that are not paying attention, that are just chatty Cathy's out there. Grab your listening guide, and we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. I think this will help us get... And I know if you attend this church, you say trespasses. But for the sake of today that we speak in unison, we're going to say debtors. So if you'll read it with me on your listening guide, we will start by saying the Lord's Prayer. All right. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen and amen. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus' first words out of his mouth when the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, pray like this. And he said, our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we talked about what it means when you're asked to say, Father, what connotation do you have? What comes to mind? Maybe you didn't have an earthly father that really gives you a lot of warm fuzzies. And so it's difficult for you to call God Father. So we looked very closely at the character of God. He's in heaven, meaning that he understands how things ought to be. He understands what the right world ought to look like. He's hallowed in the sense that he's totally set apart. There is none like him. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is nothing like us. His ways are nothing like mine, and his thoughts are nothing like mine. And I'm so grateful for that. So when I, can, when I say, Father, I know that I'm praying to a God that is all-powerful, that a God that is on the throne, and also a God that loves me. A God that loves me. And the very next thing Jesus said after those uh, couple sentences is he said, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to just ask for a minute, or stop for a second, and I, if you're like me, I wonder if you in your life have thought, what does that even mean, thy kingdom come? Is it just me? Y'all have thought that too. I know you have. <laughs> what does that even mean, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What we'll see today is thy kingdom come, thy will be done are very interchangeable. It's, it's, it's practically saying the same thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And... Really what Jesus is inviting us to do is he's inviting us to come in and pray and usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth 
as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so I want to take just a few minutes as we start this morning, or this afternoon now, and I want to look at specifically when he says thy kingdom come, what does he mean really? And so if you will look with me on your listening guide, we're going to jump in. And we are in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And here's the truth of the matter. Jesus is just now starting his public ministry. So he's about 30 years old. He's been in other parts of the country. He's probably done some healings, but he's going back to his hometown, which is Nazareth. He walks into his hometown on a Sunday morning. He goes to church and he stands up and he preaches his first sermon. And this is what he says. First of all, it says he came. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And this is what he says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20 says, Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What does he mean by that? Well, Isaiah the prophet stands up, in Isaiah 61, and says the very same thing you see Jesus saying. And when he says that, he is prophesying and saying, there is a Messiah to come that will set the world right. And so when Jesus stands up and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have come to preach the good news to the poor. I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to set at liberty those that are bound. And then he sits down and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled In your hearing, what he is saying is, I am the Messiah. I am God, and I have come to be the deliverer. Thy kingdom has come, and he sat down. And so when I am invited by Jesus himself to pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, what is he inviting me to pray? He's inviting me to pray this. Lord, preach, he's saying, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. So what does that mean? He said, I want to preach the gospel to the poor. Do you guys know what gospel actually means? It means good news. And so what Jesus is not saying is that he's come with some great advice for you and me. He's saying, no, I have come with a declaration, a proclamation that good news has indeed come. Have you ever been drowning in debt? Or have you ever had a cancer scare? Have you ever had some sort of scary situation and you felt like life was hanging in the balance? And then you got the news that the debt had been cleared or the cancer was no longer there or the child was actually safe and sound and the experience of relief was overwhelming. That's what good news is. That is what good news is. And so when Jesus says, I'm coming to bring good news to the poor, he's saying, I'm coming to relieve the poor. Who are the poor? 
Are the poor people those that are literally living in government housing? That's not what he's saying, because we see in Matthew, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So poor means what? What do you think it means? Stab at it. What do you think? What? You don't know? Yeah. To be poor in spirit means you have no resources. You have no resources. And it also means that you have the humility to understand that you have no resources. Because the fact of the matter is none of us have resources. Resources meaning I have what it takes to get my way to God. You see, every other religion is about a higher um, enlightenment, a continual growth and climb to, to reach God, whoever God is. Christianity sets itself apart in the sense that God has come down in the form of Jesus, recognizing that we don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes. Just pick one area in your life where you feel like you could really use some help. If you're a parent, hello. If you just, here, it, let, let me tell you, if you just made the New Year's resolution that you're going to drop 10 pounds by February 1st, and you're down in that chicken salad today, you're loving it, and you're going, I can't do it. I can't do it. Every January, I think I'm going to do that stupid cleanse again, whatever it is of the hour. And it lasts, for me, it lasts about two days, because I really just don't have the willpower or the resources. The same is true in my relationship with God. I don't have the power to live a sinless life. I don't have the power to please him. I don't have the power for the next 30 minutes to get in my car and somebody cut me off and have the power to be gracious about it. I don't. I don't. I've got an 8 and a 10-year-old. Let me tell you something. You've heard this before, but do you have to teach your kids to lie? You don't. You don't. We are just born with that nature that we are not resourced to live a holy and righteous life that God intended for us to live. And here's what Jesus is saying when he says, preach good news to the poor. Thy kingdom come. Is he is inviting us to pray along with him to say, listen, God's not expecting you to have it all together. God is not expecting you to have it all together. And so thy kingdom come is a prayer of relief that I can pray knowing that God's intention is to draw all men and women to himself, children, through the blood of Christ, to preach good news to the poor. Second, he says, to heal the brokenhearted. To heal the brokenhearted. He's coming to heal those that are broken. See, every single one of these that we're walking through, through there's five of them, they're all manifestations, they're all just the ravage that happens because of sin. Sin in this world. And one is that you're lost and you don't have the resources. The second is that sin breaks our hearts, does it not? You can't be in a relationship very long and not get your heart broken. Not experience rejection. Not experience what it's like to be abandoned. Jesus said in Psalm, uh, the Lord said in Psalm 34, 18, I am near to the brokenhearted and I save those that are crushed in spirit. And then the kingdom of God is to proclaim liberty to the captives. This word liberty actually means pardon. It means forgiveness is what it means. And it's to any that are held captive. Here's what you and I need to understand. The truth is, if you were born into this world, you were born into sin, and so you are held captive. You're held captive. Read Romans. When we come into this world, we are enslaved to sin. 
Nobody had to teach you how to sin. And God is saying, I have come to bring pardon. I'm, scripture says that the wages of sin are death, and I have come to cancel the debt for you. Release captivity. So one, we are forgiven from the penalty of sin, but we're also forgiven and released from the power of sin. From the power of sin. So he's inviting us to pray like that. And next he says, and I'm coming, the kingdom of God is to give recovery of sight to the blind. This is literally physically and metaphorically. Physically speaking, we have a God that heals and his desire is that illness would not be present. Illness, physical illness, emotional illness, spiritual illness, it's a result of sin. Sin is like a cancerous tumor that exists in this world and we all experience it. And he's saying, I want to give uh, recovery of sight to the blind. I want to heal your diseases. I want to open your eyes to see things that you've never known before. And then he says to set liberty to those that are oppressed. Sin is oppressive. Oppressive. So when he's asking us to pray, thy kingdom come, he's asking us when he allows us to walk into someone's life and we see that these things are residing. One, they don't know Jesus. They're bound by sin. They're suffering in some way physically. They're brokenhearted. Jesus is saying, I want you to say, thy kingdom come. I want you to usher in the kingdom through prayer. I want you to come on to the front lines of battle through your knees. I want you to pray understanding that the will of the Lord is that this would be made right. Does that make sense? And so what's happened in my life as I've been studying this is for so long when I would see individuals in particular cases, say for instance someone that needs healing, I would lean in and think, okay, what is the Lord's intention here? Okay, I don't really know what his will is going to be. So, I, Meaning, I don't know if she's going to live or she's going to die. So I really don't know how to pray. And so what I do is I go to the default mode and I just say, okay, well, whatever happens, happens. Lord, just help us get through it. Just help us get through it. And what God is saying is, no, no, no. Heaven is not something that we just white knuckle on earth and wait till we get there. Heaven can be brought to earth. That there is work to be done on earth and we are his agents. If you are in Christ, meaning if you have received the blood covering for your sin, if you are in relationship with Christ, that means you have the Holy Spirit and so that means your boots on the ground. You are boots on the ground on this earth and God has entrusted you with the gift of praying to him. The gift of saying, thy kingdom come right here and now, Lord. And so this in many ways, is a battle cry for us as believers. And so I can look at a situation and I can see someone, I'll give you an example in my own life. My brother is four and a half, five years older than I am. And when I was in college and he was getting his master's in college, he was at Texas Tech. Do we have any Red Raiders here? Get your guns up. Do we? Yeah, that's right. I was at the university, which we all know as Texas A&M. And when I was at A&M and Kern was at Tech, I knew that Kern was far away from God. How did I know that? Because every time I saw him, he was, well, I just knew that. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but I remember that my, for whatever reason, God burdened my heart with my brother in a way that I could not shake. And I remember thinking, Lord, I want Kern to understand the good news of you. 
But I also knew that if I were going to voice it with my mouth to him, he was going to feel like I was shoving something down his throat. And he was going to, in, in fact, he, he did say, don't even try and shove that down my throat. So I was powerless to, to get him right with God. I felt that way. I felt like there's nothing I can do to get Kern to come to you. And then I realized, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Where's the power? The power's on my knees. Start praying. And I remember I was, I was, I felt, Martin Luther said this, that he assaulted the gates of heaven through prayer one time. And that's how I felt. I even remember one, I remember like it was yesterday, in my apartment in college, I remember weeping and thinking, Lord, I don't want to be in heaven if Kern isn't there. I just don't. I was that broken for my brother. And I began to continue to pray and continue to pray. And this was not a short, like, I prayed really hard for a week. This was a several-year process of praying. And I wasn't the only one that was praying for him. And Kern was a great guy. And there were so many that were coming around in prayer for him. My mother was on her knees. My twin sister was on her knees. And when he graduated from college, he moved to Amarillo and he started teaching school. And I remember thinking, okay, who's, are there Christians in Amarillo? <laughs> there are. There are. I love West Texas. And I remember praying and I said, Lord, would you just bring someone into Kern's life that knows you? Would you just bring one person? Just bring one person. And I started praying. And I was saying, in a sense, I'm saying, thy kingdom come. I knew this was God's will. God, he died on a cross so that Kern would be in heaven. I knew in great confidence that his will was for Kern, his intention, his heart was for Kern to come to know him. And so I could approach the throne and continue to approach the throne and continue saying, Lord, Lord, I want Kern to know you. Just bring one person into his life. And I'm not kidding you. I got the phone call one day and he said, Laura, you're not going to believe this. This Saddle Tramp, that's this organization where they ride horses at Tech. I'm not even sure what they do. They charge the field on the football game. I know, it's annoying. It's annoying. So he was a Saddle Tramp at Tech, and he said, Laura, you're not going to believe this, but my buddy, who was a Saddle Tramp a few years older than me, is from Amarillo. We reconnected, and lo and behold, his dad is a Methodist pastor. And I said, there's no lo and behold there, baby. Let me tell you. And so he invited Kern to church. Kern started going to church, and then Kern went on a retreat with this church, and it changed his life. Changed his life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And my brother loves the Lord umpteen years later. And so God is inviting you and me. Is there anyone in your life that you know that is far from God? And you're weary and you're tired of praying and you wonder, is God even listening? Is God answering this prayer? Will it come to fruition? What, how many of us in the room, if you um, have children, have prodigal children? And here's what I'm challenging you with. Don't give up. You keep praying and you can know that your heart that breaks for him, God's breaking 20 times more. And the reason your heart is breaking is because God's allowing your heart to break. Because your boot's on the ground and he's saying, get in the game. Get in the game. There is nothing more powerful than our prayer life. Nothing more powerful. Let me tell you, I don't have the words to entice you to come to know Jesus. If I am not on my face praying, I'm telling you what, they're, they're just, they're words. But when I pray effectively like Jesus has taught us and I enter into the throne, 
by saying, Lord, come, thy kingdom come in this person's life, Lord, thy kingdom come. Oh, my goodness, does it honor the Lord. But it also unleashes the Spirit to work and to move. Now, can God move if I don't pray? Obviously. But here's how gracious the Lord is. Is he's saying, here's what life is going to look like for you, Laura. When you give me your life, what you're doing is you're locking arms with me. That's just a, a picture in my head of how it helps me. Is that we're on an adventure together. And I'm going to invite you into what I'm doing. And I'm actually going to use you to speak for me. I'm actually going to use you to usher in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And here's what it's going to do. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. Because as the world gets darker and more perilous, you're going to see in brighter and brighter ways that I am at work. But if I'm just looking at this world going, this is awful. We are in a bit of a mess. I'm going to just curl up in my bed and just watch, like, I don't know, Desperate Housewives or something. And I'm just going to get more and more defeated and less effective for the kingdom. And the Lord's saying, come, get in the game, get in the game. And so he's saying, when he tells his disciples, pray, thy kingdom come, he's saying, let it be a battle cry, a battle cry. You know what God's heart is. You know what he died for. You know what his kingdom is about. Now start praying it in. Start praying it in. It's a gift for me to get to pray for others. To intercede for others is one of the greatest gifts we're given. And it is not for the faint of heart. But it's one of the greatest gifts we're given. Another example that comes to mind in the, in the realm of healing is Michelle Biggs, raise your hand, this cute little girl right here, even though she's a Red Raider. Um, no, I love Red Raiders. Michelle Biggs is one of my dearest friends. She's also on the board of Yes Ministries. And almost six years ago in August, her third child was born. His name is Cooper, and he was born at 25 weeks, and he was less than three pounds. He was two pounds. Two pounds, but he did not breathe for 27 minutes. Is that correct? And I remember getting that phone call, and it was just ugh, mind-blowing, and we rushed to the NICU, and we see, and then Michelle's in surgery, and it's just, it feels like a mess. And she comes out of surgery, I'm telling you, I think you were probably on that surgery table praying for that Cooper. I have never seen a mother storm the gates of heaven like this one. And she was hell-bent and determined Cooper was going to make it. And he was not only going to make it, but she was hell-bent and determined that he was going to come out um, A-OK. -okay. <laughs> and so we all joined with her, and we started praying Thy kingdom come, Lord, heal this child, cause him to breathe. Lord, don't let there be any brain damage. Lord, would you heal this child? And, and, and this is what I love about Michelle, is that she is just raw before all those nurses. And they would come in oftentimes, and she'd be praying out loud, I'm sure, over Cooper. We'd walk in to see her, and she'd be praying. And she was not going to stop. And y'all, if you could see Cooper today, he is a tank. He looks like he's going to storm something. He is beautiful. He is beautiful. He is sharp as a tack. And I'm telling you, we look at him oftentimes and we're like, let me tell you something. You don't even have a clue that your mama 
was used by God to get you in that tank little body that you have. So you better be nice, Cooper. You better <laughs> obey. But it was such a, a glorious thing for me to see Michelle on her knees like that. I've mentioned to you before that my 10-year-old little boy, Ben, he battles anxiety, and Sunday night was a rough night for him. I got home from that retreat, and he had had a, uh, for various reasons, it was a difficult weekend for Ben, even though it was a good weekend. But that night, he was really scared to go to bed, and he'd seen something that kind of messed up his little mind, and so he was very fearful. But that messes up your mom's heart, doesn't it? You don't even have to be a mother, just those that you love, those in your life that you love. When they're not okay, you're not okay. I'm telling you, I woke up Monday morning and I fasted and I prayed until I picked him up at four o'clock. And I was charging the gates of heaven. Thy kingdom come. Lord, you did not give Ben a spirit of fear. That is not from you. You gave him a sound mind. Now, Lord, make it come to pass. Lord, do it. Now, I don't come to the Lord with a demanding fist, but I come to the Lord in great confidence because I know what his will is. I know what his will is. Now, we'll talk in just a minute about when, when the healing doesn't come and the anxiety persists. We'll talk about that. But the Lord is saying, no matter what, you come to me. Come to me. I want you to be boots on the ground in your prayer is going to unleash heaven, and you're going to see miraculous things happen. And when you do, the Lord himself will be glorified and lifted up, and people will go, there's no way that could have happened apart from God. Tell me more about him. And others will be in heaven because of our willingness and obedience to pray. And so when God says, pray, thy kingdom come, get in the game. Get in the game. I know you're tired. I know you feel like I've been praying for this thing to change for so many years. I'm exhausted. Start praying again. And I'll tell you, when you do and you get in the game, there are so many times, just even that one day, it was about eight hours that I was fasting and praying for Ben. The Lord was speaking to me over and over and over about his plans for Ben and how he sees Ben. And my shoulders begin to relax and I begin to feel secure again. There's nothing like intimacy with the Father, and it comes through prayer. It comes through prayer. And so as we are praying and ushering in his kingdom, we become kingdom prayers, is the way I like prayers, get it? Kingdom prayers. And so as we're doing that, the Lord begins to change us. He changes our mind. What we think changes, and as a result, the way we live changes. And so we become kingdom bearers. Bears, and so we bear the kingdom. And so I recognize in my life that everywhere I go, I bring the kingdom of God. Everywhere I enter, every place I go, I, I bear the kingdom of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside me. So whether I want to on any particular day, I'm bringing the kingdom of God because of who I belong to. This is the same for you. And so if I will be in a, a posture of prayer in my life, my antenna goes up and I begin to see things differently. And I begin to bring the kingdom of God in dark places and it helps push back this dark world in which we live. And this, I shared this story yesterday. On Tuesday, my family, we're going on a mission trip to India in June. And of course, I can't find my passport anywhere, so I had to go get another one. And so they only take appointments and so... Whatever. So I had to go to the, the post office 
on Tuesday the 30th, or whatever, on the 31st. That's when I could go see her. 10.45. So I show up. I've got all my paperwork ready. I'm cute. I'm, I'm freshly washed, knowing that picture's going to be there for 10 years. I'm ready to go. And I'm in a pleasant mood. And I knock on the door. Oh, my. And so the door has this cutout window like this. And I'm telling you, this lady, I I ring the doorbell as I'm told to do. And she opens that door, and she's looking at me like, how dare you? How dare you show up for your appointment? How dare you have fresh lipstick on? How dare you? And I was like, and I don't know if you're like me at all, but when someone, when, when I am met with that attitude, man, I can give it right back. It is no problem for me. If you want to go there, oh, it's on. I will go there with you. I'm telling you. And I was like, and she said, okay, I need your paperwork. And I said, I'm just here to renew my pa- renew your passport. And I said, okay, maybe not. I don't know if that's the right term, but I can't find mine. And she said, right, so you're applying for a passport. Yes, yes, I am. And then she said, I need a copy of your driver's license front and back. And I was like, okay, I don't have that. I have my driver's license. Does that help? And she said, well, I'm going to have to charge you for that copy. I said, baby, I will take that 15 cents. You just charge me for that. I was like, okay, great, trying to be nice. And so she leaves. And in that moment, my head is just going, here's what I'm going to say back. Here's what she, if she comes back, she's going to win. And, in, and then it crossed my mind that in less than an hour, I was going to teach on this. And I thought, okay, God, okay, help me be nice. And I realized that God, that God was saying to me, I'm not asking you to be nice. I'm not asking you to be a good little girl. I'm asking you to take one step forward toward this sweet woman because who knows why she woke up so cranky. Who knows? Don't you? You've heard this if you've ever sat in a counselor's chair, which hopefully you have because we all need to. Um, they will tell you, hurt people hurt people, right? And so in an instance, God was able to kind of grab hold of me And I started to think, what in the world did she wake up facing this morning? What was she facing? Maybe she's thinking, I cannot make rent and the first is tomorrow. Maybe she's thinking, I cannot get this baby to get right no matter what. Who knows? Maybe she had even awakened that morning and said, God, I am done. If you exist, you better show yourself to me. I have no idea. She may have not said any of those things. But it didn't matter. Because here I am, boots on the ground, called by God, invited by God to be the kingdom of God. And so in that moment, she comes back. No, she's still around the corner, and her supervisor comes to me, and he says, is she taking care of you? And I said, you better believe she is. She's doing a great job. Changed her entire focus. So she came back to me, and she said, all right, baby. And you know when they call you baby... When anybody calls me baby, I know we're headed down a good path. And she says, all right, baby. She said, here's the thing. You need to take this, go pay for it, then come back. And I looked at what I owed, and there was no charge for a copy. And I came back, and we got our stuff done. And she said, okay, here's whatever. It was done. And our time together had ended. And I didn't say, do you know Jesus? I didn't say, it doesn't matter how rude you were to me. I still love you anyway in the name of Jesus. I didn't say that. She said, okay, you're done. And she, I said, all right, 
and I held up my hand, and she was looking at me like I was a freak, and she grabbed it in my hand, a high five, and I held it, and I said, bless you, bless you today, and she looked at me, and I just thought, that's it, that's it, that is the surprising love of Jesus that he's asking me, Lord, would you just push back the darkness for me, Laura? Would you allow me to do it through you? Would you just for one minute, would you keep your antenna up? Because there are things for you to do. And I'm telling you, it made my whole day better. There is joy to be had when we allow the Lord to do what he's called us to do. Would you just allow him to move through you? Be a kingdom bearer today. You are invited, not commanded and instructed. You are invited. And what that means is you miss out when you decide that here's what life is about. This is what life is about. Life is about me. Life is about my comfort. Life is about my well-being. Life is about my happiness. Life is about what works for me. And you better believe I'm going to pray about that life. I am going to pray that this life goes well. And here's the thing. Does God ask us to pray about our lives? Yes, he says, come to me, all of you who are labored and heavy burdened. I'll give you rest. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you so much. But here's what God is saying. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to lose your life. Because if you'll lose your life for my sake, you will find it. You will find it. And so what that means is that we all stand in the tension that I don't get to own my life. I don't get to follow Jesus and call the shots. Leviticus says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He doesn't say you get to be the co-pilot. He's saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so when I am coming to Jesus, I'm not coming to Jesus for a ticket to heaven. I am coming to Jesus to allow him to be Lord of my life. And I will tell you this. So many of us have one foot in and one foot out. We want the benefits of Jesus, but we don't want what it costs to follow Jesus. And that is a miserable life. Let me tell you, if you are in, if you are like that, you're like the church in Revelation. He says the church of Laodicea. He says you're lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth because he's saying you will be miserable. One foot in, one foot out. What does he want? He wants my full surrender. Paul said it best in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Meaning, he has died. When Christ died on the cross, I got to die with him, and I'm raised to new life. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but he who lives through me. He who lives through me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me, died for me, and gave himself up for me. We are all faced with that. It is not for the faint of heart, but if you are craving joy, which you were wired to crave, you won't find it any other way. You will not find it any other way. You remember the woman that kept going to the well, and Jesus said, he kept trying to tell her, I'm living water, what you're thirsty for, I am, I am, not I have it, but I am living water. She couldn't figure out what he said. He cuts to the chase and says, go get your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is is not your husband. Why is he saying that? To shame her? No, I've taught this before. The reason Jesus is saying that is he's saying, baby, there is no well apart from me that will satisfy you. Every other well you'll have to continue to go back to to get your fix. You call it people. You call it addiction. You call it career. 
you call it whatever you want to call your well, you will continue to come back. I understand that full well. And Jesus is saying, come to me. But when he asked the disciples to follow him, he also asked them to drop everything. They had to leave behind everything. They had to drop it and say, my life no longer belongs to me. And so that's what leads us into the second part. What happens when we say, I'm yours, Lord. Skin's in the game. I'm ushering in the kingdom. I'm going to pray like a prayer warrior that you've created me to be. And when I see your kingdom is not here and it's darkness, I'm going to pray, usher in your kingdom. Lord, use me in that way. And so you do. And so you get in the game and you start praying for that loved one to be healed. And you are in the game and that loved one dies. You start praying for that prodigal to come home. And no matter what, that prodigal is not home. You start praying for that marriage to be restored. Lord, I'm believing it. Lord, you're a God of redemption. You're a God of restoration, Lord. Heal this. And it's still, it's not, not only is it not getting better, but it even seems to get worse. What do we do? What do we do? How do we stay in the game when there's heartbreak at times? I'll tell you what I do, is I go back to the God that I've given my life to, and I look at this passage in Luke 22, 41 through 44. This is right before Jesus, our Lord, is about to go to the cross. Well, he's about to be arrested, and then he goes to the cross, and he knows. He knows what God has asked him to do. He knew it from the very beginning. He knows, and yet he is fully human, and he is freaked out about it. He is stressed out. And here's what he does. He comes to the Lord through prayer. And it says, Jesus walked away about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. How many of us have been on our knees? Please take this away, Lord. Take it away. Take it away from my life. Take it away from this loved one's life. Lord, fix this. Change it. Your Lord understands that. Lord, please, he said, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. That's it right there. I want, I want, I want your will to be done, not mine. Whoo! That's a tall one. That's a tall order. I want your will, even if it means I suffer. Even if it means that I suffer on this earth. I want your will to be done. We can't pray that if we don't know him. We cannot pray that prayer authentically if we don't know that we serve a good, good father. A good father that is worthy of everything he might ask of me. Even a cup of suffering. Last night, we gathered around with some friends of mine in Friendswood. One of my sweet friends, who I've done ministry with on and off throughout the years, her daughter is pregnant. And they have discovered, through lots of tests, that this baby in utero has significant um, Maladies. This baby has, is going to come out as a special needs child. And so we are on our knees praying, and we're praying, we're asking God, Lord, would you heal? Would you heal? But as my sweet friend started praying, I was so humbled and blessed by her heart. 
She said, Lord, if this is a cup that you are bringing into my life and you are going to be seen more clearly and more fully and more glorified, Lord, I don't, who am I to despise it? Who am I to despise it? And she began to thank God for what he's doing in their lives. And she said, and she was so raw and honest, and she expressed her fears and her concerns and her desires. But at the end of the prayer, she said, Lord, I really do love you. I really do love you. Y'all, we can't be sustained unless we really love him. And here's how we learn to love him, is when we come to him as frail daughters. And we say, I think this might take me under. Please remove it, Lord. Please remove it. And in that moment, you hear the sweet, tender, comforting voice of the Lord, and you experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And you're able to say, yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Y'all, our lifespan on this earth is a blip. It is literally a blip, y'all. God's chief concern is not my comfort. God's chief purpose in his world is not that Laura has a happy 85 years. God's chief concern is his glory and that people are ransomed back to him. And by his grace, he has taken me out of the kingdom of darkness and he's put me, he's put me in his kingdom of light. And for the time being, in the meantime, I get to be boots on the ground for him. And I get to say, Lord, it's not my, you've saved my life. My life is yours. And so in this time that I live, Lord, you do with me whatever you want. You have me pray for whomever you want me to pray for. Lord, if suffering comes to me, I don't want suffering to come to my life. My sweet husband, when he prays for our kids, I love to hear him pray for our kids because he'll always pray, Lord, allow them to surpass me. Lord, would they do things far greater and far more effective than I would? Lord, would their faith surpass me? Would you do things that we couldn't even think or imagine? And Lord, if that involves suffering, we trust you. But Lord, would you protect them? I sure would love for you. If there's any way they could be protected from any suffering, Lord, that's my heart. What an honest prayer. What an honest prayer. But at the end of the day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not thy kingdom come, but my will be done. It's... Thy kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then as he said that, the very next thing that happened, it says an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Isn't it a beautiful picture that when we in agony can go before the Lord that his angels will come and strengthen us. This is the thing. There's a friend of mine that lives a stone's throw away from me. She's 31 years old, and she's been diagnosed with a, a, a big one. It's a tough, tough, tough ailment. And we are gut-punched in our town about it, in our community. And so when I jog now, I make sure and I jog by her house. And I'm asking for healing, total restoration and total healing. And that my initial thought is she, she has to beat this. She cannot succumb to this, Lord. And I start that way. And that's a very real and honest thing. But as I keep jogging and as I keep praying, the Spirit of the Lord begins to speak to me. And the Spirit of the Lord says, I'm doing things 
in her life and through her life that would blow your mind, Laura. And I am touching her and blessing her, and I am going to make sure that every gap is filled in, and I've got things going on. And then he reminds me of Isaiah 55 when he says, Laura, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and there's no way of mine that's like your ways. And so you're going to have to trust my heart, Laura, when my hand seems a mess. When you can't understand the work of my hand, I'm asking you, just trust my heart. I love her more than you do. She is my child. That's what God said. When Jesus is crying out to him, don't you think he knows this is my kid that I love? But then Hebrews says, you know what? It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. It was for the joy set before him, scorning its shame, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. None of our suffering will ever be in vain, ever be in vain. The Lord says in Romans 8, 28, I'm working all things together for good. It may look like a dark mess right now, but you can trust me. You can trust me. Hang with me. Stay in the game. Stay in the game. And so what I'm going to leave us with today is this question, are you in the game? Are you in the game? What does it mean to be in the game? It means to say, Lord, my life is yours. My life is yours and everything that you've given me, it's all yours. Every relationship, every loved one in my life, every dream I have, everything, my finances, everything, my um, quirky nuance, everything about me is yours. Everything. It is yours. And when I start to grab it back, Lord, would you remind me, wait a second, that's yours. Here's why I don't have to be afraid to pray that prayer. Because the Lord says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. You are in the palm of my hand and no one can snatch you out of it. And if for some reason I'm going to allow a cup of suffering into your life, you can believe, A, I'm going to be with you, and B, there's a reward coming for you. And there will be people in heaven that will be there because of you. Because of what you allowed me to do through your life. One of my dearest friends, another board member, Nona Landers, her mom died um, about two weeks ago. And she had a debilitating disease that took her out of most of her kids' lives for 38 years. And she, she passed away. And she led, and let me tell you, they stormed the gates of heaven asking God to heal her. And God entrusted her and allowed this disease to continue in her life. And Nona found her Bible. And in the back of it, she found prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer that nobody knew Miss Beth was praying. She said, Lord Luke, her grandchild, he's got to learn to read, Lord. Lord, this person needs to come to know you. Lord, my son needs a wife. And they were overcome. And then they learned from so many different people who had come to Christ at her bedside in the hospital that she prayed with to receive Jesus. Do you think that her life was just a big disappointment? Do you think that her life was ineffective? 
Let me tell you something. That woman stormed the gates of heaven in her hospital bed. And when she died, it, just the stories that remained of her were not, well, she was really kind and nice, although she was. Her love for Jesus was just crazy. And that's the beautiful thing, because that love can't be manufactured, but it's a gift we get. It's an intimacy that we get to know all our own when we say, here it is. All my fears, all my dreams, all those things that I, th I think you're going to make me do if I give my life to you, all of it, all of it, I give it to you. I'm boots on the ground for you, Lord. I'm telling you, I've lived both ways. It's not for the faint of heart, but there is no joy like it. There is no joy like it. And I can stand up here all day and tell you and tell you and hope and promise and tell you it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. But you are on your own when, that comes, when it comes to this. It's you and the Lord. And the Lord's asking you, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you say yes to him today? Will you say yes? Here's my life, Lord. It is yours. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. You are a good God. You are worthy of our trust. And I'm always reminded of that sweet father in Mark chapter 9 who said, Lord, would you heal my child? If, it, if you're willing, Lord, would you, would you make my child well? And the Lord said, if I'm willing, all things are possible for those who believe. And his response was, I'm, I, I believe, Lord, but help me with my unbelief. Lord, that's us in this room today. We're frail daughters. We come in here limping almost every week because we've been beaten down by certain things in our lives, and yet you say, come to me. Lord, would you give us the courage, the faith, the love that we need to give it all to you. Lord, we lay it down. And in turn, Lord, what we're asking for is you. We want you. We want to taste you. We want to see that you're good. We want to know in the pit of our gut that we serve a good and gracious God that is near to the brokenhearted, Lord, that brings victory into our lives, that releases captives, that heals the wounded and brokenhearted. We want to experience that. We don't want to just be taught about it. In Jesus' name, amen.